and welcome to the year we started a podcast it's a podcast born phoenix like from the ashes of last year's podcast um what are we supposed to do now uh we're knuckling up Mm, yeah mm. we're knuckling up we are currently knuckling up okay that's fine man it's been a long time since i've paid attention to what we're doing um anyways uh <laughs> this is a podcast born from the ashes of last year's podcast i already said i'm your co-host jeff i'm the other knuckle up nick and this is our podcast where a couple of friends that are half a continent apart that would like to come together and talk about some of the things that are fun and interesting to us nick did okay i didn't even preface any of this before we started talking did I give you an update on my car situation, maybe in the Patreon last week or anything like that, in texts or anything? My brain may have filtered it out, but I don't believe so. Okay, so I sent you a text message, though, of my car after. Okay. Uh, okay. I, do, you, do you remember this? Uh, I, I told you that we would be talking about it. I sure my brain hope we may have, have filtered it. everything. I don't know. I apparently can't do. I don't even remember the things you texted me. Okay, well, okay. <laughs> I don't even know where we're at. Then I'm just going to assume the uh, average listener has the same level of amnesia that, that we apparently have. Yeah, hey, um, that's so fine. that's good. So when we talked last time, I literally went back and double checked. Uh, it was when I was posting my car for sale and I was complaining about the fact that I had to post the car for sale because that's stressful and annoying and I'm going to have to talk to people and whatnot. And then I yeah. sent you a text of a broken window from a car. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, you did. You did yeah. indeed send me this. And you said you talk, we talked about this. Okay, yeah. We yeah, were talking about this on the yeah, podcast, yeah. and now it's the podcast, and here we are. And I, I told, I literally, I might even do a like a like a go back in time uh, play <laughs> the audio, like uh, where I said I'm sure it won't be that bad. Um, so I posted it. I paid like the twenty bucks or whatever to like boost it on the Facebook Marketplace or whatever to sell my stupid van. Um, and Nick, I, we I, talked about that. That's okay. what we talked about on the, the the on the Patreon. Yes. Oh, so I, I said that I that boosted were- it. And then I tried to sell it, and then uh, the the uh, the city was mowing across the street and accidentally broke out the window of my car. Um, which, which is, they were mowing and slung like a rock through uh, through my car window. A Wait, side like window. from the from like a from the across from the a, street. Yes, from a mower. They sl- with a mower. There you go. With a mower, yeah. Like a, they were they're mowing grass in a because they're doing construction across the street. Um, right. They also admitted to also being the ones. I can't remember if I said this either. Uh, they also admitted to being the ones that also did the same thing to my truck, uh, which I had previously uh, thought. What I had previously thought was some hooligans um, that were like going through the neighborhood and shooting you out the back that windows. You were unsafe <laughs> because of like just random like ah petty crime. Oh no! But right, no, I, in fact, <laughs> you are actually a target of a Final Destination style uh, plot. By your city. By, by, <laughs> by, by city my mowers. own city mower. Um, anyways, I had a, a buyer that was ready to go. Um, they backed out. Uh, since then, I've had another buyer. Uh, I've been in the process of trying to get this window replaced. It is the back, uh, pa- or it's the back driver's side uh, like window, and it is in a 2008 vehicle. And they are hard to come by. One of them got um, delivered to the the company that is going to replace it. And they they we had a, an appointment together last Tuesday. Uh, or I sorry this I guess this Tuesday still just they had an appointment like you know four days ago or whatever it is. Um, they they let me know uh, after the appointment no called no showed that uh, the the glass had gotten uh, broken in transit and they just forgot to tell me. <laughs> So thank you. Forgot thank, to tell you. Thank you. I'm I'm glad that I made sure that I was home for this appointment. That's that's great. Um, now they called me uh, here uh, yesterday, Saturday, as we're recording, and they told me they have uh, they have it again, and they're going to show up on Monday. They're also going to show up on Monday to fix my F-150 glass. Um, anyways, it's been a whole thing, but a long way to say all of that. Selling a car. Uh, we, I've had now, I, this, I'm now on my third person. If they ever respond to me, if they don't respond to me, they'll be, I'll have to move on to my fourth person. I've sold my car at least three times now. <laughs> and I would really okay. like to just sell it the one time that actually matters. Um, yeah. if, if the companies that could either one fix my glass or two, not actively be breaking my glass, uh, can just figure their stuff out. Um, so it was not only as bad as I thought it would be, it is significantly but, worse. 
But what I like was it was creatively bad. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I was expecting just like low balls and like people showing up and be like, nah, man, I don't got the money, but I'll trade you this watch. And you'd be like, oh, I don't want to need a watch. But no, no, no. This is like, oh, the, the, the like we said, just Final Destination attack on yeah. your, on your yeah. car. Funny it's thing, good. tried to sell it for $1,000 more than I thought it was worth. Sold it immediately, twice. I did come down $500 off my imaginary price to sell it the third time. I don't know. Maybe the fourth time, Nick, I'll make even more. I I, I, I don't even know. It's, it's a little bit ridiculous at this point. Um, I'm sorry. I do, I do find that part of like, I've never really understood that. I understand the incentive of being like somebody who like lowballs and is like annoying about it. Like they're like, Hey man, I gotta shoot my shot. Worst case they say no or whatever. And like, that's fine. I'm not, no, no, like real shade. I don't actually care about that. But I do think like, why do people like say they want something that not, sh- not show up or like back out? Like, I don't understand that at all. Or why do it people sell things and get their windows bashed out? I mean, everybody's complicated, Nick. Yeah, we all we yeah. all have our vices. They um, do. We do. I do. Can I? T- I just want to tell one more brief glass-related anecdote. Um, Hit me. Hit me. I'm here so, for the glass-related uh, anecdote. That's what I'm here for. So, like back in 2017, I bought a nice pair of sunglasses for the first time in my entire life, mm-hmm. um, and since then, I have worn them a lot, uh, and. Back maybe six months or so ago, I replaced the lenses on them because I had gotten them into a very, they were, they were in bad shape. I did realize what had happened. I wore them while I was uh, doing weed eating around our house. And it turns out that's a very bad, bad idea to wear nice sunglasses because you will scratch them to, to heck and back. So, uh, they, they needed to have their lenses replaced. I replaced Fair. the lenses. And then, um, like one month later, two months later, something like that, um, I was bringing in a package from Amazon and I laid it down on top of my sunglasses and snapped the, oh. like, <laughs> snapped the frames in half. Um, nice. That's, oh, that's it's cool. just like I this. Uh, first off, I'm a very cheap person by and large, and and so like these are like my one like guilty pleasure. And then I I spent the money to actually fix them, and then I just immediately snapped them in half. Um. So that was that was great. That you know su- such as oh life. Oh my god. But then I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm the sort of person I'm stubborn. I'm like I said earlier, I'm cheap. I I'm gonna figure out how to to make these still be good sunglasses, even though I've done this. I just bought these brand new uh, lenses, and so I went on to eBay and I found um, the exact same frames. They were black instead of dark blue, which is totally fine with me. So I brought bought new flame new frames for like they were like forty nine dollars, super cheap. And I was going to uh, take the lenses off of my current ones that were brand new. The reason why these ones were so cheap is because the lenses were completely scratched up. And I'm like, and and then I went on to Amazon and I found like a little glass, like a cheap, like glasses repair toolkit thing for $6. So I'm like, all right, you know what? It was a mistake, but I can get out of this thing for like 50 bucks. Like I'm going to have my new nice sunglasses with the new lenses and the new set of frames. And then I got the new frames. I'm like, oh man, they're even there's so I didn't realize how much bad shape I had treated my poor frames. Like these are really nice. I was ready to swap, swap the lenses over, swap the first lens over. Totally fine. Everything was going great. And then the other one, um, I got one of the screws out on the lens. They are held to, held in by two screws. So I got the first screw out fine. The second screw, I kind of stripped a little bit. And also I stripped my tool that was like the little hex thing to unscrew the lens. To the point where there was like no hope. Like Nick, there was no hope to get this stupid screw out of this lens. Having worked with small little tiny screws and small bolts and small screwdriver, I hate it. I, I hate they're all soft as hell for some dumb reason that is beyond my understanding. And like they're they're just like put in there as like a tease that like oh you could try to fix this or you know you could strip it you'll you'll just strip it it's actually a hundred percent of the time you'll just strip it yeah so I, I so I stripped it um, yep both both at that I, and I like tried to get so careful but. At this point, I mean, my six dollar tool, um, which was like a like a part of like a sixty piece thing, like, and like literally it was probably made out of tin foil, just smashed into a mold. Like it was so so cheap, and That's the actual deal. screw itself. So I, I stripped the screw, I stripped the tool. There was no hope that I was going to get it out through t- traditional means. But I am, if nothing, a stubborn person, and so um, Nick. <laughs> I went through what ended up being like a two-hour journey. I just want to walk you through Uh just the highlights briefly. So um, 
first thing I did was I cut the frame down so I could maybe try to twist around the actual frame around the uh, like original uh, the the lint like the eyeball side of the lens so I could try to twist that around so I cut the cut it down so it was just like a little L. Um, that did nothing. <laughs> that was completely pointless. But it was kind of satisfying to destroy <laughs> like, the destroy the frame that I destroyed earlier. Maybe, I was kind of yeah. like hanging in there, like, oh, oh what's going on? Uh, I wonder how this will. Oh, it doesn't do anything. Right, yeah, it was, it was completely useless. <laughs> Mostly cathartic, uh, which you know yeah, is good. it's kind of merit in and of itself. Um, but then Nick, I went a little. Um, at, at that point, I just I really wanted it to work, and so I resorted to what some people might think are a little bit dramatic uh, uh, efforts. So, the first thing I tried was I, I had a not me. I had a bunch of I have a bunch of clamps, like things that are typically used for wood and stuff. And even though it was like maybe uh, half a millimeter to try to clamp onto on the front side on the lens side um, that I had stripped down. I tried to like clamp onto that with some rubber footing things. That didn't work out. Um, tried doing a couple other things. I tried putting foil and some other stuff onto my stripped out um, screwdriver thing that I had bought for $6. That didn't work. Um, and then I had an idea. So I was like, you know what? I wonder if I could find something and get it really, really, really hot and then melt off the other side of this, uh, of this, Lid of the frame, I suppose. I, so I I went down that road, and I I have a blowtorch that I use for some things, and I got a razor blade from um my uh, carpet cutter from when I had to cut carpet once um that I still have. So it's they're very 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 sharp, uh, very thin blades. So I knew I could get it really hot. Okay. And I literally went out to I didn't know where like to put all these things over. So I have my I have like these gloves that you can use with grilling and smoking and stuff that are like fireproof. So I had my fireproof gloves. I was holding on to this uh like what looks like a razor blade. I have this torch that I have just going and my I'm just setting it all on my grill because I figure if nothing else, I mean the grill's okay with hot things. Um so this will probably be okay. Um, sure. So I, I I went through a process, Nick, of getting this blade very, very hot and then trying to cut it off the screw um, on the other side of the lens. I'm not sure how good of a picture I'm drawing with my words here, but it was to, to a very... To cut off, not, right? not cut it off? I'm trying to basically melt off the melt off the frame from the screw so that I can just pull the screw through the lens. That's my That goal. makes sense. That makes sense. And and so I do this and I do it like 10 times. One time my hand slipped a little bit and I kind of like scratched the back of the lens a little bit, uh, which oh, ultimately no. uh, like it was it was like kind of disheartening cuz like how many more times am I going to do this cuz at this point I'm causing more of a problem than I'm fixing here. Um but uh so I, I actually, Nick, I, I literally, me, my glove and a torch and a blade, I melted off this stupid thing and I managed to get it off and only one little tiny little Nick on the lens itself. Uh, and then I realized, uh, how these things are manufactured. There's like a little bolt on the backside that, uh, ultimately I needed to figure out how to get off. Like, just because I melted off all the plastic part, there still is a bolt inside the plastic part that holds all this together. Okay. Um, and so then I did a whole bunch more of clamps and loosening and blah, blah, blah. Uh, eventually got the whole thing back apart. Uh, and pulled the, the screw through two hours later, put the, uh, lens on the new set of glasses, screwed it back in. Uh, the nick is like not even noticeable at all. And I'm so proud that I managed to fix it all. It was literally. I'm proud of you. It was, I was like, that's not. That's a wild story. Like, I, I actually do. That's kind of incredibly impressive. And dude, you should have documented it on YouTube. Like, right? Great. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing. I mean, there's so many good TikTok, you know, compilation things. No, I actually, done. I think this would have been a good like eight hour, like uh, a good <laughs> two hours, two hours. Just, just I, you I, sitting there, like you can't really see what's happening. We've got like a close up on it, but we've also got like you in the side thing, and just like you going, damn it, damn it. I I literally think like just the the memory of standing there with my barbecue glove that is like 
flame proof <laughs> holding a razor blade and then cutting off pieces of plastic off of the inside of a very 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 more tiny and more thing. as more and more oh, as we man. Go. like the amount of time i spent on that and like the whole time i'm just wondering like what in god's name am i doing but like, now every time you use those glasses you're gonna uh, be like oh, oh yeah and, oh, nick, i need to wear these all nick, the time let's nick, go you know like literally every time i wear them now it is like the most satisfying thing like even if i only get to wear these like 10 more times it will still be worth it because i not the i mean nick these are the best sunglasses god has ever graced our earth with like these 100 uh, I, I believe are, that i believe that these are these are the most amazing sunglasses uh, uh can i also say uh don't break these ones okay <laughs> yeah yeah no for, for, for sure um and, and like that was the funny thing i was thinking about too is like when i was putting it all back together i'm like i wonder if i'm tightening these too much <laughs> am, I, am i am i am i setting myself up for future failure but here's the thing i'm not because i know now to give up immediately there's there is no there's no world in which i tried to do this again but also i say that and i'm a crazy person so probably will um nick i want to i was speaking of ambiguous optimism i want to talk to you a little bit about uh my book list uh, that is a thing that I decided that I wanted to do. So I was talking to Katie, uh, and I was like, you know, I, I read books and it kind of comes and goes in spurts and I kind of mm. want to write down what I read. I know people do do this. And I was like, even if I just like write out what it is and then give it like a couple sentence summary of what I thought, just that's what I was going to say is make sure you put like a little bit of your thoughts in it. Cause then you can remember <laughs> that. Right. I, I agree. I think we, we don't retain stuff well. You know, like, oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and I can. So uh, sidebar to this, um, we write down memories for our kids in a journal for both of them separately. Uh, Like if there's just like a cute thing that is. Um, And Nick, I'll tell you, I would have forgotten like we would have forgotten probably 95 percent of the things in those journals if we didn't write them down. Ninety five percent of your children's childhood. Yeah, that, and, and like that's not no. to say we don't remember a lot, but like legitimately, like those those moment, right. like the moment to moment things, you just you do not remember. And I think the same is thing for books and such. Like I I care about my kids much more than I do some random book. I do, I do want to call you out that you said the same is thing for for books and such. I, I assume that, you meant same is true, like because you're an adult. I know what you're being. Shut up. But but <laughs> words, the same is words thing. is hard. <laughs> words is hard. I agree. Um, but no, like just in the same way that, uh, you know, we're, we're crappy at remembering even our most important things. We're also crappy at remembering books and how they meant, you know, things to us and honestly, even what we read. So I went, I went back, uh, three years and tried to document what all books I have read and also just type out just a sentence or two about them. Um, and I found it really, really interesting. And one thing that I right away realized, which will be a complete shock to you, is I'm a very streaky reader, meaning like I would go No completely. I would I would go huge swaths of time without <laughs> reading anything. And then I would read like uh a lot in you know a three month period. Um that does sound accurate. Yeah, so that is, that is the sort of person that I am. So it's not surprising there. Um, so I guess before I dive, I do want to like like toss out some of the the facts and the st- the statistics there, um, because I it think is. it's interesting just to talk about. Um, have you ever done anything like that? Like, or do you do you keep a log of anything you've read? Um, um, or anything no, to that I sort? had I had a journal in high school um, at like uh, my sister's suggestion because um, she had done it for a long time, and I thought it was really interesting going back and reading it. But I. What I learned with it was I was I was inconsistent in actually using it, and uh, so so it became like a, a chronicle of like a, a week or two at a time. Like it'll it would be like a detailed chronicle of like oh my, man I remember like oh wow I forgot about these conversations or what I did here, and then it would be like again I wouldn't touch it for a week or two or I'd forget or I'd only do it like one day every you know five that I meant to or whatever. And um, so I am not great in terms of keeping. Uh, I, I'm I'm just not a um, a person who builds. Uh, who is what's the word I'm looking for? Not habits. Not do like know, disciplined and doing stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. Just, especially especially like creative things or things that don't have um, that aren't a responsibility. You know what I mean? Sure. If it's a responsibility, I'm on top of it. If it's not a responsibility, eh, it's probably gonna fall through the, way, the wayside. Um, Right. So yeah, yeah. 
So, um, but it seems like a good idea. Yeah. And, and honestly, like I'm pretty crap at that too. I want to do better at this because I do think reading what I do read a lot is some of my best things. Um, and, and also when I do read a lot, I'm more likely to do stuff like, uh, write in those journals that we keep for our kids and stuff like that. Like I'm more, I'm more likely to, to give the time of day to things that are, um, that are the, what it's like the the things that you would just coast and like the habits of your life versus the mm-hmm. things that you actually want to uh that when you look back a year later you wish you would have done so yes that, it's a thing that i want to care more about and so i i wrote out what i did i think the word pre- i was looking for earlier was routine i'm sorry that's not no, important yeah. but nope, i'm not good. good about building routines go ahead yeah um so, uh i thought this was pretty wild um <clears throat> i guess a couple I don't want you to guess numbers of books that I read um, in any given year, but um, what do you feel, what's your expected breakdown for uh, physical books versus listening to books versus a digital digital reading of a, like I don't have, physically reading a digital book? I don't have a good um, sense of how many digital versus physical you've read because I don't, I, didn't, we, I don't think we've talked about Kindle stuff enough for me to know, yeah. but the audio to, to physical, I'm, I'm going to guess like, 7525 audio what uh before i answer that what do you th- what's your feelings on physical versus like a kindle like like seeing seeing a digital copy of a physical medium versus just an actual physical medium not I, not listening to it but actually reading um it. i don't ha- i've never really given it a fair shot uh because i do like having a book and i like having a book in hand because it's it takes me away from you know i've never tried a kindle which would be a good idea like an actual dedicated e-reader but um you know if i had an ebook on my phone i I just know it wouldn't work and if i had it on a tablet i'd be more inclined to just tab out every now and then and just like space out and uh i enjoy the physical sensation of having a book and i love like i kind of love the look of a weathered red book Mm well-read book you know so like i i I don't know i'm a little um I'm a, a nerd at heart, uh, and, like, I have a bunch of my childhood books that, like, you know, uh, my, you know, I, I'm showing the exact type of uh, angsty nerd that I was as a 15-year-old, and I haven't read it in a long time, but my Perks of Being a Wallflower book is, like, you know, it's it's feels like it's been read 14 times. It's weathered. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if it's 14 times, but it feels like 14 physically. (laughs) So So do you, do you have like a bookshelf with books that you've, you've bought over the years or are they transient? Okay. I do. We actually had a friend make us a a bookshelf um, because he does uh, woodworking stuff and it's, it's, uh yeah I, I i love it so i in my office right now i can look look over here i have a bookshelf behind me um the sad thing about it is it has nothing that has been meaningful to me in the last 15 to 20 years uh which is a big bummer i actually really yeah. do love physical books um I, I will say on uh, my list in the last, uh, since 2020, I have read two physical books. Dang. And that's, that was to me kind of sad. Um, and, I and I, I think it's, it's kind of twofold. One, I think the, uh, the option of reading it like re- reading with your eyeballs on a digital device is like impossible for me like i i just the the likelihood of me carrying a kindle like a, a dedicated Agreed. device for it is un- extremely unlikely and i've read i have read one book on my phone but like the amount of distractions that that comes exactly. with it's just exactly. impossible and so for me it's just like that isn't feasible like for me to actually have the focus to read a physical book, I need to have the ability to disconnect from all of the distraction and notifications and such. Um, and But I've only done that twice intentionally. Uh, so – I well intentionally meaning I've I've only been disciplined enough to do it two times in the last since since 2020 which I felt I would have guessed I would have done it five times like that would that would have been my like off the cuff guess but unless I'm forgetting a book or here or there I think I've only only done it two times dang uh, which that's is crazy which is pretty crazy so um, my, my 75 25 is actually under guessing for audiobooks right because you've, you've listened I, to a lot of audiobooks I am very heavy on audio. Now, do you want to know another thing, which if we talk about it, probably will make sense, but is it is embarrassing and jarring. Uh, in 2020, Nick, I, I, 
I I want I almost want to give you the shot first to make me feel better. Uh, one book? Is it one? I I listened to one book. I've read zero books physically. I Damn. so a, for a grand total of one book in 2020. Dang. Now, I will say you might remember probably why that was because I went all hard in on listening to an entire backlog of a particular podcast uh that year in, yep, in the, I, the good I year I of COVID. I do remember that. I do remember and, that. And so it was not for effort of listening to things. Uh but no no books. Uh, I listened to one book. Actually, nope. I didn't listen to a book. That was my. That was one of my two physical books I've read uh, in the last uh, year or two two and a half years. So going into 2021, I I picked it up. I did better than five books that year. Um, I read one book in print, uh, which was that that was that is the last book that I read in print uh, last year. So I spoiler, I've read zero in print books this yep. year, like physical in print books. Um, I I'll, I'll tell you what. I, so it's it's kind of again kind of embarrassing because as a person who kind of prides himself on this sort of thing, like is is a very skim, uh, like it's a very small list. So uh, in twenty twenty one, I only read five books. Um, and uh, two of them you're pretty familiar with because they that was the 1984 and Slaughterhouse Five. Yep. Yep. Uh, so those were um, some some things we already ac- talked about. Absolutely excellent. But absolutely also- excellent. Um, do you want to take a guess on the split on uh, nonfiction to fiction on those? On those five. On those five. Yep. Three to two, right? Because you didn't read three. Three to two. Well, three to two. Um, three to two. Non or nonfiction to fiction. I'm assuming that the only two fiction were those two. Yep, you're you're a thousand percent right. Yeah. Dang, Nick. Good no, job. I, I know you. I know you, sir. I do. Um. Okay. So, uh, let's let's go to 2022. Uh, Nick, I I can actually hang my hat on this year. I feel I feel much better. Uh, this year so far to date, I've read uh, from what I could remember. Anyways, again, I haven't been tracking this as I've done it, uh, but I've read twenty two books uh, nice. so far this year. So about about one one every other week, which is a lot. Like Pretty if I good. if I could just comp- if I could keep that that that'd be fine. Like I feel I feel good about that. Um, do you want to take the guess on the split uh, of fiction to nonfiction on this one? I feel like this is this is a much bigger sample size, so you can maybe I'm, try I'm to take, thinking take like a stab. eighteen to four. Yeah, <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Let's go! Yeah. Let's go! Madness! You didn't say which is which, but I guess you can probably four guess. Is, eighteen is the nonfiction. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh man. Good job, Nicholas. That's Thanks, really sir. good. I'm very proud. Uh, do you know what the four are? Um, shoot, we have no. talked about them. Um, so one is Project Hail Mary. Yep. Um, shoot, I should know these. I really should, but I don't have the answer. Um, so I don't count books that I start and don't finish. So in that uh, that realm, I don't count uh, Mistborn because I tried my best twice. Tried, tried, well, tried, tried my best, quote unquote. Um, uh, so other than that, it was, uh, feed, which is that the zombie movie or zombie, the zombie book that I right. read, uh, that right. I read half of the sequel and then got distracted. And then I, I've read, uh, two of the, uh, sci-fi series, the, the Baba verse, which I'm on book three right now. So, those, okay. so those, those four are the four, uh, gotcha. but no, yeah. So about a, a four to 18. So whatever that ratio is, but, uh, nice. yeah, that's, that's been my read. I just thought it was really interesting to go back and look and like actually realize like, holy cow, maybe I read another book or two in 2020, but I think <laughs> I maybe only read one book. And oh, no. uh, obviously that was a weird year for sure. But also I don't think one book per year is probably where I want to be at. No, um, I mean, it's, it's really hard though, because you, you, um, so you want to be uh, a good, a good productive, active reader, but sometimes it's like emotionally and fit, uh, uh, mentally challenging to be at times, right? Like it, that's why I think it, I'm streaky. Is that there's times that I don't have it in me to like kind of mentally engage with like a, a full other thing. I'm like I got stuff going on. I'm like in my zone. I've got to do my own work. I've got to do uh, take care of my own responsibilities, and therefore like the reading just falls apart, right? Well, um, and I, I, I like I especially I think it's very salient because i think in 2020 uh that 
was a year that I just needed to find ways to be happy and laugh. And the yes. answer to that was podcast. And I, I just, I, I made no effort to try to like dissuade that uh, like natural uh, bias because like that made me happy. And uh, that was a time that like, even no, no matter who you were and how affected you were by the pandemic uh, or what your opinions were, like it was broadly speaking, an unhappy time filled with ways to be distracted by how to be unhappy. And, yes. and so I just took the brain off, please just laugh version of attention seeking. And like, I was happy to have it. Like I, and I, and I don't know that I would change it. I, I, I needed that at that time. It was the right, right source <laughs> for that time. So, right. um, but it is a very interesting thing to look back and reflect on because it is not, that is not, if you would have told me I read one book in 2020 that I could sign my name to, uh, That's yeah. I, I would yeah. have been like, of course not. I, I, I'll I, tell you for I'm sure. I'm just a person I've, who reads, you know, ten books a year at minimum. Right. I mean, I'm probably closer to fifty books a year. I, and then I will tell I you one. that that I for sure have had years at one. For sure, for sure, for sure, one hundred percent. Um, well, let, let me uh make you feel better. We'll we'll keep this one brief. But um, I uh only audiobooks, and I know there's three other books that I've read, but uh physically um. Although one of them is actually in here because I did it both on audiobook and on, uh, so, you know, there's that. Oh, there's two that are like that. Okay, well, whatever. Um, oh, okay. So I have 34 books in my, uh, in my Audible, um, uh-huh. that I know for sure I, I started after the pandemic. So in the last two years and change. Um, 34. Would you like to guess how many of those are nonfiction? Because this is where I, I'm laughing at myself. I want to guess... 34 uh, books that I've finished, because there's also one or two in here that, that I've actually started, one of which I recommend so you, to So you, you finished 32 books since 2020. 34. 34. 30, 30 30, 30, 36 if you count the two that I'm thinking of that I've read physically. I'm going to guess that uh, two of them are nonfiction. Four. 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 I have four, four of them. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to insult you. No, no, you. no. no you're good. And there is also I got I got pretty deep into a short history of nearly everything, but I did not finish it. I actually no, did. It's I, okay. I think yeah. I got like halfway. So I I did. I always meant to go back to it, but I never did. And therefore, I, I sh- it should be thirty five with five of them. And instead, my ratio is that much worse for it. Hey, you. So one last. <laughs> point on this before we move on uh when i was going through this my wife had said that she uh thought that i had read more books than her uh over the last three years and i will tell you the answer is not that no no. i I think she's a good strong like i i i would have to go back and do the actual uh numbers on it but i think she's a good strong like 20 to 30 books per year person also her 100% 100% fiction though. She does not she's uh, okay. does not does not deal with my non-fiction crap. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I I think that there that that fiction reading can be just as rewarding at times, I, especially yeah. if you choose good fiction, but also like you'll you'll never get the junk food reading that I so like of my 34, at least like eight of them are just like pure junk food and then another like 10 of them are like fantasy series and i'm like yeah no these are good fantasy series but they're also like okay they're fantasy series <laughs> like, it's it's there's a difference between reading 1984 or slaughterhouse 5 and reading um you know uh freaking the stormlight archive series which I, was a good I, good fun yeah i would agree to some extent also though i think that the worst of books is better than the best of television i agree like uh pretty sweeping uh judgment on that nothing against television i'm no me neither i'm i'm literally when we finish up here i have to go watch the uh, season finale of something so there you go but like (laughs) um but i i also I, i believe i've i've um i've uh seen a thing that like or a study that like literally just just reading like regularly makes you a smarter person like it makes you a more critically engaged person or something like that and i'm forgetting it now because it's you know one of those things that you read an article on and then you forget about because you don't critically engage with it enough and uh, that's me at two t's (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'm i'm a thousand percent a better person because of the books i've read uh i i enjoy the opportunity to hear well-written peer-reviewed edited uh thoughts on things that's why i love nonfiction so much is because it's an opportunity for me to challenge myself on things um but also if i do get sucked into a good sci-fi novel or whatever i'm also not above that either um okay 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 okay. nick basketball bill russell oh my gosh okay so we'll keep this relatively brief but we'll try we'll we'll try 
We'll keep this relatively brief. Tell me, what do you know about Bill Russell as a, as a basketball player? Uh, he played for the Celtics, yes? Yes, he did. And he, and he won 85,000 championships. You I got think. it exactly right. He won 85,000 championships, which is right on the nose, right? Which exactly. is really hard. Like, you have to really time that. <laughs> Yeah, clear tired, so that you could, yeah. Okay, no. can I can I actually take the guess at what the yeah. actual number was? I th- yeah, think it was it's it's ten or more. It is, is ten it, or more. Is, is it is, is it ten or twelve? It is it's eleven. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> That's actually hilarious. But yeah, so Bill Russell won eleven NBA championships, which, which is, is can we just pause before we start? That is unthinkably that is ridiculous so is that from did it start in the 60s like late 60s um so early 50s or sorry in early. The, I, I actually don't know when the nba started first um started first recording uh championships and when they first started counting them i know that the um that uh it should go back to when it was actually called the basketball association of america instead of the nba yeah. um but i think that was uh which i think is in 1949 so okay. I don't know if we're, if if, the, if we're counting it back to 1946, which is the founding of the, the founding of the um, of the BAA, or if we're counting it going back to 1949. But Bill Russell was drafted in 1956. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So Bill Russell was drafted in 1956. We can do the the, the winning thing real quick here. Um, they won a championship in his rookie year. Uh, they lost in his second year. He was injured in the 58 finals. They were uh, tied at two games apiece, and he was injured. He rolled his ankle, I believe, in uh, game three. I know it was an ankle injury. I think I read that it was a, that it was a rolled ankle, but I don't have it listed here now, so I'm doubting myself. But he was injured in the 58 in game three. He missed games four and five and only played 20 minutes, still hobbled in game in the deciding game six. Um, and I think he must have been upset with himself for getting hurt because they won the next eight in a row. <laughs> as you do <laughs> like like jeff like oh, eight man. in a row is that's not very easy jeff eight in a row, like i'm not convinced that like i would beat my, a beat like a middle schooler at horse eight times in a row <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> so what okay he he was age what from what when he did that um so he comes into the nba a little uh or i think at 22 um yeah at 22 so he wins those from 50 uh from uh 59 to uh to um 66 which would put him at 25 to 33. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I mean, I've strung together some really great eight years, these last eight years, yeah. which yeah, would put yeah. me at 33 at the end of them. Um, yeah, see, right now, I, I, you should have won, won. <laughs> you should have won nine championships, including eight in a row, if you were Bill <laughs> Russell. Yeah. I, I will have to go back and tally them up, but I don't think that's what I've done. You don't think that's what you've done? That is, that is, I mean... That is an unfathomable amount of championships in any league in any sport. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, so during this time, uh, that exact stretch, he is uh, the the NBA MVP at the time was voted for by other players and coaches, mm-hmm. and or ooh, I believe it's just players. I don't have it written down, and now I'm doubting myself again. But uh, either players or players and coaches, and he won five MVPs during that time, pretty decent, okay, decently okay, okay. I guess. And then they lost in 1967. So in 1967 uh, or the 1966-67 season, Red Auerbach, the Hall of Fame coach, had just retired, and would you? like to know who they uh replaced uh red hour back with as coach for the boston Celtics. uh i would like to know who was it, it was, they replaced him with bill russell uh, oh, i've bill- heard of him from before <laughs> from before bill russell was the player coach for the last three seasons of his career from 1967 uh, six hey, not uh, seven hey, hey nick 19- first off yeah. i did not know that that was a thing also yeah yeah ha- has that ever been a thing since uh, like, I actually don't believe so. I didn't look it up. I should have. I don't know of any other examples. Um, here, let's let's give it a quick Google. Because like that's like literally like, hey, coach is gone, and then he was like, yeah, sounds good, and then there was just like an awkward silence, and they kept playing, and like I don't. <laughs> I, okay. <sighs> So it had it had been done a fair amount in the sixties, seventies, okay. and fifties. Um, it's uh, it's fallen off entirely. The last one is uh, I'm seeing Dave Cowens was was the player coach for a season in seventy the seventy eight seventy nine season. Um, so not in the last like, like forty years we have yes. not seen that. Correct, okay. correct. At least forty two years. Um, so 
the 67 playoffs, I'm not going to go into the details of the 67 playoffs, but there is some criticism of him as a player coach. That There's some ideas that he didn't uh, make very smart substitutions because he was focused on playing. Um, he must have taken <laughs> that to heart. Enough. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He must have taken that to heart because then he went out and won the, la- the next two championships <laughs> as a player coach. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So not only is it 11 rings, it's 11 rings in 13 years with an eight-in-a-row stretch with both of his... Two, uh, his two failures being kind of understandable why they happened. And, like, one is an injury in the finals, one is a player-coach scenario. Um, and other than that, he just won all of them. And Every he won two as a, as a player-coach. Kind of insane. Um, he also, ha- there's a, a really fun stat of, uh, of, so, Jeff. Bill Russell played in 10 Game 7s. You know about how hard it is to win a uh, winner-take-all single thing, a single game with everything on the line. We've watched a lot of Game 7s, and the saying always is with the NBA, uh, anything can happen in Game 7. You get it to 7, anything can happen, right? Right. What would you guess Bill Russell's record is in 10, uh, 10 Game 7s in his careers? Well, he couldn't have lost many of them. True, <laughs> true. All this just, yep. I would say at most he could uh, lose a couple. Um, but no, I, I would say a game seven doesn't sound like something Bill Russell would lose many of. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go with either zero or one. Yeah, you got it. You got it the first time. It was 10-0 in game seven <laughs> in his career, which is pretty good. Pretty rude. Um, it, what's really frustrating to me about that is that a lot of those are against the Lakers. And I, if you yeah, could just yeah. stop that, uh, I would appreciate it. That was um, before your time a little bit. Yes. So Russell is like, in terms of just winning championships, he's the greatest athlete in team sport history. Like, there's just not really any getting around that. And there's, um, there, you know, there's a lot more to basketball than that. Oh, but I should, I should mention the last thing I should mention is that um, I'm not the type of person who looks to people's high school and college careers, but. Before joining the NBA, he won back-to-back championships during the last two years of high school and back-to-back championships during his last two years of college. I believe back then uh, freshmen weren't allowed to play uh, weren't allowed to play with the varsity college team, so he didn't have a chance his first year. Uh, but and he also won an Olympic gold medal, so he was a winner freaking yeah. everywhere. Comes to the NBA, instantly wins a championship as, as a rookie, as a star rookie, and then wins uh, you know eleven out of thirteen overall. Total insanity in terms of just team success. Um, but I think that Bill Russell is a very interesting player all around outside of just being a winner. Um, and I think that's because he's very much a product of his time. Um, do you know much about like him, his play style or anything, uh, uh, anything about those Celtics teams at the time? No. So that's where I was going to ask questions was mostly yeah. around, uh, what sort of team was he on and what sort of statistical of an outlier he was because he has to be some sort of interesting statistical outlier to be the sort of person who uh can <laughs> string together you know that that many championships yes um, and then just like generally where he kind of fits in the overall narrative of players in history so yeah that, that, those are going to be my uh my go-to questions uh should they become questions totally. i should ask so that that's that's totally. where i'm at but i so i genuinely don't i feel that this is the part that i feel most criminally underinformed as far as mo- who most he people was. are about the 60s, 60s players there's not good footage of them there's not good di- there's not good stats stat keeping there's all this issues with it um you're you're not alone and it's not there's nothing weird about it uh you kind of have to do extra work to learn about players from like before magic and uh, bird to be honest like you just won't yeah. catch enough stuff just you know being tuned into games um so for our listeners bill russell was a a center and in the nba that's the 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 largest guy on the team usually uh the they're usually the guys who get the most blocks the most rebounds and uh are the guy posting up if they are if they're involved in the offense usually speaking there's a bunch of exceptions in the world the rule uh the world but yeah um so Bill Russell, you're totally right that he's interesting statistically because by accounting stat perspective, um, the, the 60s were a really weird time that they had a very, very high pace. There were tons and tons and tons of rebounds all, all around. Um, Bill Russell, let me pull up the the exact number again. I'm sorry, I, I lost it. But like Bill Russell for um, for his career averaged 19 rebounds a game. But that wasn't like as much of an outlier as it sounds nowadays. Um, I'm sorry, that's, that's incorrect. That's not... Uh, per game what am i talking about here that's uh yeah 22.5 yeah per no game. i was just looking at that I'm like, nicholas that was over yeah. 20 because i'm yeah, looking at yeah. it right now <laughs> yeah you're right 
22.5 yards per game, which wasn't as much of a statistical outlier because teams just took and missed so many more shots during Russell's era. Fair, fair. But Russell's also part of the reason that that trend continued because he was um, a defensive force who encouraged fast breaks on his team by, like, being... by Weirdly, he had a strategy, which I don't think can translate any longer to the in the NBA, of purposefully blocking shots and passing on the, the block to teammates. Like, tipping the block to teammates was hmm. a direct part of the, like, of the strategy. And we don't record... We didn't record block shots back then. But today, the best players, the best uh, defenders in the league will average somewhere between, like, three to four blocks a game. Um, there's tallies that Bill Russell averaged... Uh, or journalists have gone back and like just manually tallied from like some from uh, footage that we have. So obviously this isn't like perfect um, and it's not comprehensive by any means. And there's a chance for for noise and all of this yada yada. I'm, I'm prefacing too much. But on about 100 unofficial box scores, uh, Russell tallied around eight blocks per game during his career and was closer to nine per contest during his peak season. Ooh. Which, yeah. That's yeah, a few. Right. The game was really different. It was it, it like it's. It's hard to kind of like separate the fact that, you know, you can look at Bill Russell and say, okay, well, he didn't score that much. Um, His team's offenses weren't that great. And his numbers are inflated by his era. But they're also, he's a part of that. I mean, having a guy who gets you eight to nine blocks a game can encourage a fast break in a different way that that you just couldn't get without him. And he, you can only exist in the format, the the time that you exist in uh, as a player. And Russell took the prevailing strategies and played them better than anybody and won out of his freaking mind with them. So I don't really, like, I don't love the uh, this this uh, desire to be like, well, you know, Russell and Wilt played against Milkman or whatever. And it's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Everybody wasn't getting paid enough to, to make uh, NBA a full-time job. And uh, also, like, the league had doesn't have the same, didn't have the same roots that, that it does now where, you know, 12-year-olds are getting, uh, you know, workout programs to make them I- insane shooters and ball handlers and yada yada but for the era that he existed in he was incredibly impactful he shaped the uh, the league and did things like getting eight or nine blocks a game which is a little silly that yeah that man that's crazy i've Um, since 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 you've been doing this i've just been clicking through random things on the internet and everything i've read is very much in support of this analysis nick so yes so obviously now is the right time to try to look up good bill russell things yes Um, but but yeah nonetheless this is this is very Um, cool for for anyone looking for like a deeper uh written uh dive into this um 538 put out a great piece on the day he passed um uh or the day after he passed i believe uh, august 1st uh, 538 did a piece called bill russell's trailblazing legacy is secure even if staff can't measure it and uh backpicks.com is a really great resource for um historical perspective um Backpicks.com is a uh, run by a really popular podcaster who d- d- uh, does really, really in-depth uh, deep dives, both film and statistical. And there's a bunch of good discussions out there online as well. Yada, yada, yada. Who cares? Uh, let me give you my summaries of a lot of the stuff that I found and stuff that I... Or not summaries. So the the interesting part of Russell that I also think is like tied to his era, but is um, interesting from like a statistical standpoint, is that... Russell basically has, um, as well as we can Im- as measure impact, which is not perfect, and as well as we can measure impact for the 60s, which is also not perfect, Russell's defensive impact is better than any player's offensive impact ever, period, all there is to it. Um, go ahead, sorry. Wow. You're okay. No, I just, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, elaborate. What what was it that drove that so much? Yeah, so basically. I mean, besides it, getting a bajillion blocks a game, which seems useful. Right. So Russell was a really modern help defense defender in how he um, shaded drives, um, helped uh, helped at last the last minute, um, and had really good instincts around the rim in terms of just um, in terms of help. Because one of the things about being like a help defender, um, which is uh, for people who don't know or whatever, is basically leaving your man to help when someone else has beaten their man or has, you know, looks like they could use help or whatever it may be. Um, part of it is that it's always a balancing act of um, helping at the right time, trapping somebody if you can, and not leaving your man so open that they'll just get past to and be, uh, get, get an easy basket um, or an easy shot. And Russell had really good instincts in terms of how he stocked the ball uh, helped at the last minute, uh, helped with his hands wide so that he could deflect passes and obviously block shots, 
and was also just an insane athlete with a great wingspan uh, who, so therefore, you know, blocked shots really well. Well, and it's a, you know, three uh, or pre three point line. So you're talking yep. about all, all of this, uh, all, all of the quality shots more or less likely needing to flow through him. Like, yes. So if, if you were ever going to be a big man with a uh, defensive impact, uh, yeah, I can't, can't ask for a better era than that because <laughs> That like what what a great opportunity to have your fingerprint on a game than than those than those games. So. Yes. So um, besides that, from like a qualitative perspective, you, you're exactly right. Uh, but besides that, from a qualitative perspective, the '60s were also because it was there wasn't a three point line. Um, they were dominated by centers offensively. Like Will Chamberlain's mm-hmm. the kind of big example, but there's a lot of others, and not just centers. I guess power forwards as well. And uh, Backpicks has a really great breakdown. If anyone cares about like watching film, I don't think me talking about film and talking about like a qualitative analysis will do it justice but basically russell may have also been the best individual defender like one-on-one defender at the, there which is like a very different dynamic than being a great team defender it's probably the difference between being a great safety and a great cornerback and basically russell was the best cornerback and the best safety so you know no big deal um, not bad <laughs> sorry go ahead i said not bad not bad yeah, I like not, bad, yeah. not bad um but from like a defensive impact st- like from a statistical perspective um, there, uh, before he was drafted, the Celtics were a slightly below league average, de- uh, uh, team on defense. And the moment he was drafted, they became historically dominant. They never went below, <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, they never man. went below a negative, uh, four, um, relative defensive rating. So defensive rating is, um, a measure of basically how well you stop teams or how few points you give up per 100 possessions-ish. There's, like, some other stuff to it. But negative four is very, very good. Okay. Negative um, four is great, but for his career, they averaged being 6.1 points per 100 possessions better than league average, which is the best stretch for a career of, or of 10 years of any team ever. So statistically, they had the best... 10-year stretch of defense ever, and that's not actually uh, even fair because I only found um, a uh, a uh, the his career average. So it's his career compared to any other team's best 10 years, which his career was longer than 10 years. So there you go. Okay, so yeah, even a, yeah, compared to a more selective group, that is, is, his is still better. That yep, that, that's crazy. And the year that he left, the year after he his playing days, they went from being about negative uh, five. To, uh, or sorry, his, his final season, they were uh, over minus six again. And the season at he left, they were dead average. They were almost exactly league average. So they went from <laughs> oh, that, That's bad amazing. defense, drafted a rookie center, become historically great for 13 years. Oops, the year 11 leaves, championships. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And back to normal. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, he also oh, has two freaking Shea. That yeah. Oh my gosh. That 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 honestly that sentence alone of like going from below average or average to winning eleven championships out of thirteen years to back to where you started more or less. Uh, oversimplification there, but that yes, that is incre- <laughs> incredible <laughs> to think of that a person could have that level of impact. No, you've you've got it exactly right. Um, it, it's it's wild that it's that clean. It shouldn't be that clean, right? Like there should be other factors. Like, right, well, a little bit know, of a lag here and there. But, right, know. right. It shouldn't happen the moment you're drafted. You should be like young and not as involved. But yeah, no, no. For Russell, it was it was all at once, instantly. Um, so it, besides that, they also in 1964 and 1965 were the two best defensive teams ever by that metric. The metric of relative to mm-hmm. their defensive rating relative to league average. So the two best defenses ever. And he was on four of the top five and five of the top ten relative defensive seasons in a history. Um, <laughs> Okay, right. <laughs> not, <Yeah>. not bad. <laughs> right, not right. bad. So not only was it consistent dominance, but it was also this peak dominance is is otherworldly and the, the, as basically the, the most that we've seen from a defensive perspective. Obviously, you can't cap- credit all of this explicitly to him, um, but it is a trend. Yeah. Uh, and they had an average margin of victory of eight points during his career, which is kind of nutty and kind of silly. Um, there's a lot of uh, long-term ways that you could evaluate teams. Um, you know about ELO, right? Yeah. 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 So there's people who've done ELO analysis of teams, and by those metrics, um, theoretically, Tim Duncan's Spurs were just as good at, over a similar period of time. Um and just uh, to, to anybody who's not familiar, ELO meaning like the 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 better 
like the better the opponent is that you beat, the higher your rating would go up, and the worse like a, a opponent is that you would lose against, the more your rating would go down. Exactly. Um, to come up with like a comparative uh, analysis of what your kind of what your what what your score quote unquote would be compared to peer uh, was would that be a fair way to the, yes exp- it's it's a rating system that has like an average and uh or i don't know if it has an average really that's not fair but, but you have a rating system where your rating goes up relative to your opponent when you win and down relative to your opponent when you lose yeah and it's just accumulated over a long period of time it's what chess uses right yes, to like rate exactly. rated sp- yep and so it's it's really well respected because of how it ranks those players over a really long period of time um that Elo is an interesting thing for, for basketball for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, we don't have to like dive into them super hard, but one of the main reasons that you might not do Elo is because, um, because, uh, teams just don't care about every single regular season game as much as they care about playoffs games. So like, why would it matter as much if you're as dominant during every regular season game? Um, you know, those arguments have validity and whatever, but it's still a, a an interesting way to look at teams, especially over a long term. And by those metrics, um, for like a 13-year stretch or 12-year stretch, I think, 13-year stretch. Um, the Celtics are one of the four or five best teams ever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like theoretically, sure, the, the Spurs with Duncan, um, I think it's Magic's Lakers or Kareem's Lakers. I'm not sure if it, if it starts from before Magic was there or not. It have a similar stretch. And Jordan's Bulls uh, have a similar stretch. But it, it's, it's certainly elite company. It's not... Uh, the case that like oh well his teams were just good because the, they were in an era with a lot of no they they dominated their era just like other all time greats yeah what I like about that is it really is a good uh, at least in my opinion a compared to peer metric is going to be oftentimes the really only way you can do the sort of comparison across like multiple decades because exactly. the game games change so much uh but it's more so like what is the relative dominance of a particular person or team in the situation so you've done right. a good job uh so far nick many of these are all that exact thing <laughs> of g- com- comparative dominance uh to those around them at the time well, so i, I, I like I, it I'm completely with you, and I think that's the only way to like really look at team like players across time, like you're like you're saying. And I mean, even in a lot of ways, in the same era, it's hard to to really compare without like you know normalizing or thinking about the context of the the, the world that they're in, right? So yeah. Um. So essentially, freaking Russell's impact was incredible, consistent, and. What was interesting is also this impact seems to hold up to when uh, teammates were out. So we don't have uh, on-off data, but when his teammates miss time, uh, for example, Bob Cousy uh, is a long time. Uh, when he came into the league, the Celtics were already a decent team. Um, they had Bob Cousy, who is a one of the first uh, great point guards in the league. Um, in uh, in 1958, in uh, so that's Russell's second season. Kuzi sat for seven games, and the Celtics played far better without him. In 59 and 60, uh, hmm. Bill Sharman, Bob Kuzi, and Tom Heinzen, all all stars their own right, uh, missed a few games, and the machine kept on ticking. And, and I'm quoting from <laughs> Backpicks here. Uh, in 61, Sharman missed 18 games, and the Celtics were again better without him. In 62, Kuzi missed five, and again, the Celtics were better without him. Bill Russell missed four games in 1962, and Boston's point differential fell by 22 points. Oh, no. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yes. That's um, significant a bit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's um, <laughs> 20 point stage for, for our listeners is the difference between like the best team of all time and the worst team of all time. Is if you start it fell by yeah. Um Oh it, man, that's crazy. That's too small of a sample, but Bill Russell was also kind of an Iron Man and didn't really miss time, so it's hard to evaluate how right. his team did without him. I believe that he his team what went from uh, that average margin of victory of eight to uh, an average margin of victory over his career. I, I believe it was uh, uh, to just about average. Um, yeah. They missed him for uh, twenty four games in uh, in his rookie season, and they still were an above average team. Um, but for his career, he missed very little, and so it's kind of hard to compare him without. But this team, no matter what happened with injuries and uh, and roster change, because in the fifties and sixties, players didn't have as long of careers. They came out straight out of uh, college. The, the nutrition and, uh, and training wasn't as good, and players retired young. 
Um, yeah. So a lot of players didn't. Uh, there was a lot of turnover over his career, and the fact is that like defensively, they just continued ticking, and their margin of victory kept ticking. Whether after Kuzi's retirement, uh, after Red Auerbach's retirement, after several other player uh, uh, critical players' retirements, and through their injuries, this, the team was successful. Didn't really matter who was around him, and the limited limited data we have without him with with him hurt is to say that they lost their only championship they played with him missing any time and they dropped to about an average team statistically when he wasn't there from a great team so as far as i could tell all impact metrics basically point to yeah this guy was insane this guy was absolutely cream of the crop elite um there's a lot of interesting discussion about uh, sorry before, I, I i could i could wrap it up here but do you, do you have like any thoughts or questions for me on like i've mostly talked about impact because i don't know how to talk about defending and rebounding really well except to say that he was an explosive athlete he stalked the ball he had great instincts um yeah i don't really have any like i guess i mean i i would i would be able to talk about this sort of thing for forever but we don't have for forever yes um, let's see i i guess kind of in the back of my mind maybe this is a little bit of a petty uh outsider fan sort of question um yeah. but just I, I we've talked about where like you rank players of all time uh i i would feel a little bit remiss without at least asking that um, totally. and, and maybe you can give like a a floor and ceiling of like where you would place him kind of just depending on i don't know the day of the week and the weather and stuff so yeah like so what, what i've realized myself recently is that like you know my, if i were to do a list nick ager is a fan who's really engaged but who doesn't have a comprehensive way of like trying to judge these guys and hasn't done comprehensive work on all of them or like work uh like analysis or you know insight into them I haven't like tried to yeah. do any yeah so any like ranking system of like a full you know like what are my top 10 in order it's it, i think it's going to be like really littered with mistakes not just biases sure. but like mistakes and I so think that, and i think that's a, a fair thing to say genuinely i yeah. do think that that's totally fair right if i if i was a publication and i could do all the work then cool if i was a statistical model like i i respect even statistical models that i that i disagree with I don't think that they're wrong to put out like you know what the, what their greatest is and people who use because there's a lot of like um, there's a lot of like journals or websites that have their own me- metrics and stuff and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because they they have a system even if I think their system isn't perfect at least that like I respect that they you know they have a, a way of like trying to objectively analyze and I don't have that but what I do what I would say is I'm kind of I'm. Uh, uh, I do have like instincts on like where I feel about things. Um, like there's players I'm higher on, there's players I'm lower on. Uh, Jordan is to me like kind of unassailable. Um, but the the best arguments I've heard against Jordan are Bill Russell, and they're basically just yeah, well, okay, you can discount his offense if you like, but his offense was still good. There's a lot. There's a lot of um, interesting discussion online about whether or not Bill Russell's offense was an overall good or an overall uh, like kind of average or slightly below right. average. He was a below average scorer for sure, just in terms of like how efficient he was and how many points he put up. Um, but he was a big team player who was a really good passer um, and a really smart passer. And the, the Celtics offense ran through him as a passer kind of ahead of its time. Um, a lot of the time. Uh, sorry, I'll put, I'll put, I'll put you to it. So um, let's, let's just if- like, if I was gonna, if I was, but I was, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. If, okay, if I was okay. gonna, if I was gonna put him somewhere, I'd put him shortly after uh, Jordan, Kareem, and and uh, LeBron. And uh, a lot of the stuff I've seen online that I that I like, a lot of the, the lists that I've seen online that I really like and respect, that have like a lot of work done and work that I think the analysis is really good, have him at four. And I think that's perfectly fair. I think fourth all time is a perfectly fair place to think of him. Um, I think you could probably like if you're if you're really low on like okay I, I don't believe that that defensive impact translates across eras. Um, I don't believe that the offense is actually good. I think it's like average. I think I could see a place where you put him like nine. Like I, I don't really see a, yeah. a, a reasonable argument for. I, I mean personally, I don't see a reasonable argument for a couple of these centers who are like in that range to be over him but i i do i do get the logic behind it so i'd say anywhere from like two to nine and like my instinct is fourth after jordan kareem lebron 
That's I think that's fair. I, because like you do get into some really <laughs> weird comparisons ag- across different generations of players when you get into other more modern centers with you know right. uh, with with Shaq and uh, Tim Duncan and etc. Like well, honestly, even of his own time, Wilt. Uh, yeah. de- depending on how you value uh, yep. Wilt's scoring ability, so. Um, it, yeah, gets get well, interesting. I I do agree though. Uh, so you did you did put Kareem ahead, like kind of regardless. Uh, yeah, which probably would be fun to talk about regardless, because I also think that um, he's probably one of the least talked about, most dominant sports people of all time. Um, I completely agree with that. Um, uh, d- Sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> oh, the, the other thing I was going to say is that, like, a lot of eras are kind of defined by guys at the absolute top. And I think those guys are kind of unassailable, whether or not, like, you know, if you say, um, if you say, like, Kobe and KG are actually, like, 12th or 13th best all time, there's a lot of people who feel that way. Okay, whatever. I don't really care. Kobe, KG, and Duncan defined the 2000s. Right. And, yeah, yeah. And the, and Bert, or, uh, sorry, Russell and Wilt defined the 60s. Full stop. Nobody else did. They were absolutely the peak of the time. And I think that that, like, kind of to me is, like, my metric. If, if you know, um, Bill, uh, wow, uh, Bill Simmons did a book that is kind of funny. And it's, you know, he's not, like, a he, he himself would say he's not, like, the best um, analyst ever. But he did a book where he did different tiers of players. And... To me, if I had to do tiers, I'm I'm pretty wishy-washy, but I would probably be like, okay, well, I would want a tier of like, these are the guys who were so good that they dominated their era in such a way that you can't think of the game without them there. They, and like, it's clear that they were dominating that era. And there's no way that you could ever exclude Bill Russell from that list. He was, oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, a million he, percent. Right. He he absolutely defined the the sixties and the late the late fifties for that matter. I mean, just in the same way that I think if you think of like uh, the twenty tens, I mean that is uh, LeBron's era. It sucks. I hate it. But Le- it's LeBron's era. Well, it, it's LeBron and Steph though. Like yeah, it's yeah. it's LeBron and Steph. I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, you can you can probably make a case like you know KD had some yeah. very good years in there. But like to me, like when I look back on that, that's going to be Le- LeBron dominating and. <laughs> Uh, making all the headlines and also Steph being the most electric uh, three point shooter we've ever totally. seen ever. Totally. And, and, and it, yeah. Oh, it, the reason I even brought this up originally is it was like Russell for the '60s and Kareem absolutely for the '70s. Like there's oh, yeah. not even a, there's not even another name except for um, Dr. J and Dr. J was doing it in the ABA, which is like a whole weird world. Um, and I, I I am really high on Dr. J. Just like I think he's underrated in the grand scheme of things, but it, it, Kareem kind of single handedly. Sorry. Sorry, of course. Um, single-handedly dominated the seventies, the, the and uh, that's that's a big thing. Like you know, I could see a world where uh, you could, or not see a world. Impact metrics might even feel there are might be some impact uh, uh, metric arguments for Russell over um, Kareem. I talked today mostly about like defensive rating and relative defensive rating, but there's a lot of different defensive metrics out there. Um, for example, uh, like defensive win shares, which is kind of an older impact metric, thinks also, also mm-hmm. sees uh, Russell as a uh, as the best uh, defender ever, um, and that's and like disproportionately so. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of different ways you can look at this stuff, and I don't want to go into the nitty gritty of those because those are they're really minute with like minute criticisms and like you know it's it's hard to yeah. to really dive in on. Oh man, this has been fun, uh, Nick. Thank you so much for taking uh, yeah. us on a a two episode uh, odyssey about uh, Bill Russell stuff. And man, I I nothing nothing is more fun than talking to you about NBA things. Uh, you're definitely well, except the talking to you about uh, Formula One and, and football stuff, which I also <laughs> which I also love. Typically off air, but not always. And uh, and speaking of which. Uh, it is both uh, Formula One season and NFL season, and I guarantee you that will be a common topic on our Patreon podcast, which you can check out at patreon.com forward slash Tywasap. Uh, you can also follow us at Tywasap on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, but not Snapchat. And you can find all of that at Tywasap.com. And that's a wrap, Nick. Thank you so much for potting with me. You are welcome, sir. This has been the year we started the podcast. Thank you all for listening.